Hi, and thanks for listening to the Turtle Talks podcast, a podcast which will cover the comings and goings of the Happy Dancing Turtle Garden crew through the upcoming year. We'll cover topics ranging from planning your garden to putting your garden to bed. Now, to learn more about us, go to happydancingturtle.org. Now, let's get started. Welcome, listeners, to the Turtle Talks podcast. Uh, we are here with Barb Kaufman, and we're going to be talking about seed saving and seed libraries today. My name is Allison Ryan, and I'm your uh, substitute host today. Colin, unfortunately, is out sick. Uh, we have Jim Chamberlain and Dave Wilson here from the Food and Water Security team to um, help us here with Barb and talk about seed saving. Hi, Barb. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming. We're really excited to um, get your perspective and your expertise. Um, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit and telling us how you got started in seed saving and, and kind of your journey? Sure. Um, my name is Barb Kaufman. I'm a retired speech-language clinician in the Pine River Bacchus Schools. Um, I've always loved gardening, and when I retired 10 years ago, it became a much bigger part of my life. Uh, we try to raise as much of our own produce as we can. I became a seed saver more or less by accident. We uh, grow parsnips, and we overwinter some of them in the garden, and apparently when we were digging them out in the spring, uh, we left a few in the ground and they started to grow. And so we sort of decided, well, let's see what happens. Parsnips are what you call a biennial and so it takes two seasons for them to produce seeds. So this was just an experiment and we scored <laughs> big time. <laughs> we ended up with about uh, three quarters of a quart of wow. parsnip sneeds. And, and, and they're little, right? They're pretty they're little. Like carrot seed and parsnip seed. They're well, parsnips are bigger than carrots. Okay. Seeds. okay. Uh, but that was still about 10 years worth of seed there. <laughs> um, and parsnip seeds are infamous for not having a long viability. However, we did store them in the freezer, which helps. Um, and so after that, I was basically hooked. Hmm. It was just a real fun project to get into. Now I save seeds for m more reasons than that. I still do it because it's fun. Um, I also do it because there's certain varieties that we like to grow and so we want to have our own seed. And um, we've also found that raising seed and trading seeds uh, or giving them away is a good community activity. And we actually save some money. Um, it's a lot cheaper to raise your own seeds than to buy uh, especially heirloom varieties. Yes, Which tend sure. to be a little more expensive. Well, Dave's working on our seed order right now, and yeah. there can be some sticker shock sometimes when you're mm -hmm. when you're typing in those those mm -hmm. um, those seed orders and the amounts that you need, especially yeah. large quantities. Yeah, 
-hmm. And when you save seeds, you very often end up with large quantities because you need to have enough plants to ensure a little bit of genetic variety. Mm -hmm. How do you suggest that uh, somebody new to seed saving gets started? Um, I think it's a good idea to get started with seeds that are easy to save. Um, one of those that we don't even think of as a seed is potatoes. Uh, when you dig potatoes, if you keep them in the hills, so each group of potatoes you know is from a specific hill, then you can choose uh, seed potatoes from the hills that were most productive and some of the better looking potatoes. And they don't need to be the big ones, the little ones are just younger. So you can save your little ones that you don't particularly want to sit there peeling, um, <laughs> as long as they have eyes. <laughs> Um, other seeds that are easy to save are beans and peas, um, lettuce is easy, uh, squashes and pumpkins are easy, and tomatoes are pretty easy too. They do have an extra step to go through yeah. with the seed because they need to be fermented. But those are all pretty easy, and um, with peas and beans especially, since they are self-pollinating, you don't have to worry as much about cross-pollination. Peppers too, or did you say peppers? I didn't say peppers, but peppers are pretty easy too. Mm -hmm. uh, but they do cross-pollinate, so um, you would have to check uh, a resource to see how far apart you have to keep your different varieties separated in order to protect your um, species and make sure that they breed true. We're going to talk a little bit more about cross-pollination uh, when we get into the steps, but um, that's all great information. And you're right, we don't really think of potatoes as being seeds, but uh, Jim out in the garden always says he never he doesn't have time for small potatoes. So um, <laughs> I guess that's something we can do with our small potatoes <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> instead of cleaning and packaging them and them and <laughs> if, it's, if it's a small family, if you're just feeding two people, cleaning small potatoes isn't bad. But when you got a lot of people to feed, dealing with mm -hmm. little tiny potatoes, yeah. Dave probably knows that. I do. Yeah, ideas. Dave and Jim have big families. They <laughs> know all about uh -huh. that. Yeah. <laughs> I have five kids. And they eat a lot of potatoes. So when you're saving potato seed, how concerned should you be about disease and that kind of thing? Um, I would not save any potatoes that have scab. Mm -hmm. um, scab is actually ends up in your soil, so uh, you don't want to perpetuate that by um, planting potato seed that has scab on it. And yeah. probably the same with other diseases. Rotate your crops. Rotate your crops. Mm -hmm. Other root vegetables um, are biennials, so those would be much more difficult and would not be something that a beginner should necessarily mm -hmm. try. Unless you're Barb and you start with parsnips. <laughs> well, and Barb didn't plan to do that. <laughs> that, was, that was the accidental hook. <laughs> 
Um, it might be a good idea at this point if I mentioned a few resources oh, because sure. I'll be referring to those later on okay. as we discuss. Um, there are two really good websites and also an excellent resource book. Uh, one of the websites is the Community Seed Network, which also has a Facebook page with a link to their website. And their website is communityseednetwork.org. Um, and they have a lot of really good information there for both beginners and more advanced seed savers. Uh, another website is the Seed Savers Exchange website, which is uh, seedsavers.org. Um, both of those have a lot of good information, including some charts and lots of pictures to help you figure things out. Um, and since Seed Savers Exchange is also involved in the Community Seed Network, you might see a little bit of repetition between the two websites, but it's all really good information. Uh, the third resource is called The Seed Garden, and this is a book that was published by Seed Savers Exchange. Um, it's a beautiful book. If you're not into using the web, this is a great resource. Um, it's kind of like the Bible of seed saving. It has just tons of information with charts and pictures and uh, specific information for each variety that you might want to save. That's great information and we'll ask Colin to put those, uh, all three of those resources in the show notes. That would be great. Mm -hmm. I know you face so well, but I can tell that it's changing. I know when you lie there still that you've just been resting. We get along so well, but I see that we're changing. We've got a long way down till we're 60 years old. We've got a long way down till we can stand at all. Uh, Barb, what are the, are, are the steps that um, uh, you need to uh, save the seed? Well, Unlike me, when I first was um, <laughs> discovering seed saving, um, some advanced planning is needed because we want to be sure that the seed grows true and we need to leave space. Sometimes when um, you're letting plants go to seed that you don't normally bring that far along, they get pretty big. Mm -hmm. 
the parsnips was a case in point. They were probably five feet tall by the time mm. they were. Wow. That's um, really, I've read that. I've never done that. I've never seen them. But yeah, six feet tall, I've heard they can get. And another one that's fun, but is um, a root crop, so you would have to winter over your produce, is rutabagas, which looked like something out of Dr. Seuss by the time it was done, and it was <laughs> huge. <laughs> so um, you need to leave space. I actually have a little raised bed at home that is my designated seed-saving bed. So they look like truffle trees? They were more like something. They weren't quite like truffle trees. They were kind of more like something that you would see on the desert. Um, although Joshua trees look a lot like truffle trees. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you need to make sure that the seed you're using when you plant is also open pollinated or organic seed and um, not a hybrid. If you have hybrid seed, it should have an F1 on the seed packet. If you try to raise seed with produce from a hybrid seed, it will not breed true. You'll have all kinds of funny characteristics. And we have talked a little bit about this in previous podcasts that the two parent plants are bred together to get desirable aspects from both parent plants, but because it's a hybrid, you'll get funny aspects from the parent plants and not necessarily the, the F1. Right, um, right. Your first, your first generation of hybrid is what the breeders of hybrids are looking for. Um, it's when you go to the second or third generation that you might get some strange characteristics okay. that you weren't looking for. I think I compared it to a labradoodle, where a labrador retriever and a poodle are bred together for a labradoodle, but if you breed back, you're not going to get the same characteristics mm -hmm. from that labradoodle. Well, and another good example would be that a mule is a cross between a donkey and a horse, and a mule actually is sterile. It right. cannot reproduce. So that could happen, too, mm -hmm. with your seed. So if you are going to raise seed, you do need to have ways of separating the variety that you want to save from other varieties of the same species. And there are a number of ways that you can do that, and this is part of where the planning comes into play. The easiest way to do it is to only grow one variety. For instance, um, this past year, I wanted to save seed from my new favorite bean plant, and so that was the only bean I grew. Fortunately, my next-door neighbor doesn't grow beans, so I didn't have to worry about <laughs> bees cross-pollinating. Even though beans are self-pollinating, bees can come into the picture or other uh, insect pollinators, um, so you do have to watch for your distance. So growing only one variety is a great way to do that. I did the same thing with pumpkins this year. I have a fun heirloom pumpkin, and so pumpkin will cross with some squash, um, specifically in my case with butternut squash, so I grew only pumpkin in my gardens, and I grew the butternut squash at the community garden. 
three and a half miles is enough distance to <laughs> keep from having any cross-pollination. So that's, that is the easiest way. And, and check with your neighbors is what I'm hearing, too. If you have near, near neighbors who garden, yes. Yeah. For instance, I would not want to grow corn, which is wind-pollinated, and save seed from that because there are a number of um, farmers in my area who grow corn for silage, and it would be very easy to get some cross-pollination going. Mm -hmm. And since they may very well be growing genetically modified corn, that would really be kind of a scary thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Another way is uh, to keep plants separated is to separate them by time. So if you plant one variety earlier so that it blooms earlier, then you can save fruit that gets pollinated first before your other varieties bloom. Um, and you, it's easy to mark them because you can just tie a, a ribbon or a piece of colored yarn or something around the uh, stem of the fruits that you're saving, um, just so that they're marked. And that's always a good idea to mark the ones that you're designated yeah, sure. saved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I've hand-pollinated squash, I always tie a ribbon around it so that we don't eat it. Especially if it's zucchini, you don't want to pick it early because the seeds won't ripen until yeah. it's a fully mature. Once the seeds are ready to harvest, um, seeds that are dry are real easy to process. Um, you just remove them from whatever um, container nature has given them, open up the um, bean pods, and take the beans out. If you have a real huge amount, you can put them in a sack or a pillowcase and jump up and down on them or whatever. <laughs> um, hit them with a broom and pods will break away, and then you can um, take your uh, beans and winnow them. Using a fan is a good idea um, to just blow the husk away, and the beans will fall down into uh, whatever your container is. Um, seeds that are in moist cavities, like squashes, you need to do a preliminary, scoop them out, uh, let them dry, clean them up, um, or you can try washing them off. It doesn't really matter uh, what order you do it in. Um, but then they need to dry, and I can't emphasize that too much. They have to be dry, dry, dry before you put them into storage. And there are actually some um, fun tests for this. There's the hammer test, um, which is real good for beans and peas. You just <laughs> smash them with a hammer and they should shatter. Okay. If they don't shatter, they're not dry enough. Oh. There was a guy at Seed Savers who used to test seeds by biting them. Mm. And if they crunched when he bit them, then they were ready. Like uh, he did this with cucumber and squash seeds. Another way to do test them is to um, try to bend them 
And if they snap, then they're drying up. Um, but if you're not sure, then dry them some more. <laughs> um, don't dry them, however, on paper towel, especially if they have a little flesh on them because you'll end up with pieces of paper towel in your seeds. Um, coffee filters are good. Um, plates, pie pans, um, paper plates are will all work for drying seeds. Um, and it's a good idea if you have um, multiple varieties of a species to label uh, <laughs> so that you remember what you've got. <laughs> we're, we're all nodding as Barb says that, yep, you have to label stuff. <laughs> Otherwise you get mystery seeds and yes. you have to plant them and actually let them grow out before you know what you've got. It's a long time. It's a long time for an experiment. Well, and, and you lose a whole year of growing yeah. because you're trying to figure it out. It's also a good idea when you do store them to put the date on because just like in the grocery store, you need to rotate your stock. Um, seeds are only viable for a certain number of years. Um, longer if you store them in your fridge and even longer if you store them in a freezer but not all of us are blessed with having that kind of storage space in our freezers right if you were at seed savers exchange that's how they store all their heirloom they have twenty thousand varieties of seeds in a walk-in freezer mm -hmm. and every single kind is labeled carefully and they have a rotation of how often they um, grow them out to make sure that they remain viable. But um, yeah, we don't get to do that. <laughs> <laughs>species but which fruit of a, of a particular species say cucumbers how do you choose which plants to save from is that important or do you just take a oh, variety or um it can be important because if you have a plant that is just producing weird fruits and you save seed from that then you're more likely to get some more weird, weird fruits. <laughs> and another another fun story that's a good reminder is um, somebody who was teaching a class was telling about one of their early experiences. They were growing radishes, and some of their radishes went to bloom right away. And she thought, oh, I'll just save seed from those. So the next year, she planted her radishes, and she kept getting more and more radishes that didn't make 
roots that just went to bloom right away. Well, she had basically selected for that right. by choosing those particular radishes as the ones she saved seed from. So the answer to your question is yes, you do need to select. Just like when you choose your potatoes, you pick them from the hills that were the best producers and made the nicest looking potatoes. If you have a certain tomato, for instance, that you're growing, you would want to save seed from those tomatoes that have the characteristics of the variety. And there's always some variation, you know, with, within each species. So you want to pick the ones that come closest to what the ideal of that species is. And once again, it's a good idea to label those or mark those ones that start showing those superior characteristics early so right. that you can keep track of which ones you might want to save. That, that's exactly right. Because um, it's easy to look at it early and say, oh, I'll remember that one. Well, and another thing, <laughs> another thing that you might want to keep in mind is because we live in a northern climate with a relatively short growing season, we might want to select for plants that set their fruit a little earlier. Mm -hmm. So you might want to, as you're looking at your squash and, oh, this one is, an early, is already setting a fruit, I'm going to save this particular squash. Tie the ribbon around it. Because <laughs> <laughs> by August, you're not going to know where September. Well, and another thing that you actually can do with pumpkins and squash, um, and I've heard of it, but I've never tried it, is to take a little knife and just carve some kind of a mark right into the squash, and that'll heal over with a scar so that you can mm. actually see your mark later on and that way if your if your um, marker that you tied around around the stem was too tight and you had to take it off you can <laughs> still have some way of knowing um, there is one final step though to saving seed before you put it into storage until next spring and that is you do need to check for viability um, to make sure that you have seed that's fertile um, and I'll tell you a little story that shows why this is important. I was raising carrots, um, carrot seed, and it's kind of a lot of work to process carrot seed because you have to rub the head, seed heads through a screen. Um, and I had done quite a few and I thought, you know, before I do the rest, I should just make sure these are viable seeds. Well, carrots don't have a real good germination percentage anyway. You're doing well if it's 60 to 65%. Um, but when I tested them, they came out around 20 or 30%. Uh, and I knew I had sort of a pollinator problem going on. Um, after that, I just thought, I'm not gonna... <laughs> Do any more of these? <laughs> I guess I'm buying this. <laughs> um, so that's why it's important to make sure you have viable seed. And most of the time, you'll get real good germination. Um, you should get at least 70% to make sure you want to keep the seed. But uh, a lot of times, you'll get 90 or 100% on things like beans and squash.
So how do you do that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, here's what I do. It's a little different from the way they show it in the books, but I take a um, paper towel and fold it over a couple times and moisten it, and then usually I use 10 or multiples of 10, depending on what the seed is, um, and I place them in the paper towel, fold it over, now remember, this is a moist paper towel, and I put it in a little freezer bag. I don't close the freezer bag all the way so that a little air is getting in. Um, and then I check it, um, depending on what the seed is, at the time that's listed in my seed garden book <laughs> uh, chart. Um, some seeds, they say, um, go 14 days on the uh -huh. seed test. Others, you know, in a week. Mm -hmm. um, and I just did this because our seed library was gifted with a lot of seed, but a lot of the seed was uh, from 2011 and 2012. Um, mm -hmm. So I needed to make sure that we were only going to be giving people seed that was viable. Sure. Um, and I did have to go the full 14 days on some of them. Mm -hmm. So which ones tend to be longer? Um, melons tend to be oh, really? a longer seed. Um, huh. Watermelon, um, sunflower seeds tend to be longer. Hmm. Um, lettuce is pretty quick. Tomatoes are a week. Peppers, actually, I think were 14 days, too. Okay. Imagine beans are pretty fast. Beans are pretty <laughs> well, and you can tell if a bean is going to sprout before they even sprout because you can see the little root swelling up inside, inside the, the skin. Right. That's um, neat. But yeah, I think the beans. I was done with testing them within five days, yeah. um, and. Uh, if you have ever read um, Buffalo Bird Woman's book about how the Mandan used to garden, they actually soaked their seeds and kept them moist in fur and then planted them because they came up faster. And they did that with their squash. And it's very similar to how we do seed tests. Okay. All right, any other questions? Are we all just overwhelmed with knowledge? <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of seed saving information. That's for sure. If you're interested in getting started with seed saving, I'd say um, start with a little bit of planning. Get to know the seeds that you want to save, so you know how if you need to isolate or hand pollinate or bag flowers or something along those lines. Um, and then read up on harvesting. Remember to mark the fruits that you uh, are interested in, because not only will you forget, but maybe your partner in the garden or spouse or coworkers will not always know. <laughs> might have it for lunch. Yep. <laughs> and then do a little more research about processing your seeds and if your that particular plant needs any special treatment. And don't forget your viability trials. Oh, right. absolutely. Very good summary. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs>
Well, thanks, Barb, um, for coming and doing this. You're a great resource for our community, and, and uh, appreciate all the work you do. Thank you. Thank you very much, Barb, for being here, and Jim and Dave for all of your knowledge as well. Join us uh, for the next podcast uh, next month, hopefully. I think we're going to be talking to some chefs. I think I we're, we've got a chef one in, in the lineup, and we're excited about chefs it. Chefs so. in soil health. Yes, chefs in soil health. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. Bye. 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 <laughs>